This podcast does not constitute financial or investment advice. It is for educational, general information and entertainment purposes only. Please consult with your own financial advisor before making any financial decisions. I married a modern man, I thought, and I lived in a palatial house in Calcutta. I still live in that house. It's a beautiful house. But when my daughter was 17, and I wanted to send her to England for education, I faced something which I never thought I would face. My husband was against it. He said, why would you empower your girl by sending her to England? Because she will become different, out of control. I said, what do you mean by control? She needs to be educated. So then I realized how important is money. Because to send her to England, I needed money. But fortunately, I had some of my money which my mother had left for me. So I said, all right, you don't want to give, you don't need to. I have enough to support my daughter's education. And he, well, he pitched in, but that having the money helped me shape my daughter's life. You're listening to Banking on Girls, the podcast that explores the importance of financial literacy for girls and young women. And I'm your host, Marina Batmiwala. Join me on this journey to uncover insights and inspiration. Hi, everyone. My guest today is Rekha Modi, a philanthropist and women's activist based in Calcutta, India. Rekha is the founder of three amazing organizations, the Divya Chaya Trust, which rehabilitates and supports underprivileged children and destitute women, the Habiat Art Foundation, and Sri Shakti, which translates as the parallel force and promotes women's networking for action as a catalyst for social change. Reka has been working tirelessly for social change for over 40 years and is the mother of two daughters and the wife of the late industrialist Padam Pat Modi. Reka, welcome. Thank you. Reka, you've founded three organizations and you've worked tirelessly for social change. What precipitated your journey to helping destitute women and underprivileged children? Well, I would say it was my mother. My mother played Devati Modi. She came from a very, very poor family, and she became the wife of uh, my father, the late G.M. Uh, Modi, who was one of India's top industrialists, who established three townships. So I grew up under the influence of an industrialist father and a spiritual mother. My mother, as a child, would donate half her food to the needy. So her value system, I think, made me aware that life is for sharing. God has been kind to us. And coming to Calcutta in 1974, I had a very, very terrible incident. It influenced my life. I was walking on the Park Street, which is the main street of Calcutta, and I saw a dead body lying. And people were just passing by. And the dead body was naked. Nobody was bothered to even cover it. So that sort of shook me up. What kind of a civilized society are we? And I wanted to work with Mother Teresa. But then uh, mother uh, told me very clearly that she shared her love, which was a religion, with the children. So I thought that was very not acceptable to me, that if you pick up an orphan child and you change the religion of the child. So that's why the Gichaya Trust was born. And we were ladies, just housewives, who wanted to do some good. And today we are a group of 100 women. And all our volunteering time 
and nobody's religion is changed. And we have four centers in Delhi, Calcutta, UP, and in Haryana. So here we serve without any kind of expectation, only to give. But God's rule is very different. When you go to give, you get much more back. So my value system, which was influenced and shaped by my work, influenced the life of my children. My two daughters are not handbag ladies, as they call them. And uh, we like to share in our life because life is a journey. Yes. And Rekha, I mean, you said so many profound things right now. I mean, you said that your mother gave away half of all the food she ever had. And what an example to grow up with. And of course, Calcutta, like many places in India, has such a vast range of wealth and society from abject poverty to incredible wealth. So, And I think that's the thing that is so incredible about India and the work that you're doing. So these women and children you're working with now through your organizations, what are some of the most important issues that these women need to deal with and, and how are you helping them? See, the first issue is economic empowerment because uh, some of them have been left by their husband, go and marry again, and there's no divorce. So these women consider themselves as married, a single married mother, I would say, mm-hmm. who has no income. Then they start working in, uh, on roads, they start working as housewives or the, in various homes. So their children, they're not orphans, but they're as good as orphans. So these mothers will have three, four children. And they don't know how to look after them. Then, the, as I say, that there can be no tragedy greater than the fact that a mother abandons her child in order to give child a better life. Like I know a particular case. Uh, one of the women, her name was Uma. She was in Delhi, and her husband beat her, and she threw her out with two children. And she went to a girls' hostel, a women's hostel, but her children she gave up to SOS village so that they can grow up. So there was Uma living in Delhi, only 15 kilometers away from her two children, but she would never meet them because if she met them, she would upset their lives. Home advised her that you please come once a year. So when the children were 18, she brought them back. And a lot of adjustments after that because the children didn't forgive her for the fact that she abandoned them. Yeah. So she did it for economic reasons. But... It's not been accepted by them. Similarly, in Calcutta, there were two stories. One was a little girl who was put up in a moving train by her mother because her mother couldn't, what I should say, provide enough for her. And she didn't want to sell her because she was not good-looking. Good-looking girls were often having good buyers. But these girls who were not good-looking, having some social or some physical problem were often abandoned by their mothers. She remembered the address of her mother, but the mother wouldn't accept her. So I think this kind of a tragedy is a very, very big tragedy of humanity, where a child knows that the mother is there, but the child is not able to stay with the mother. So I think the economic challenge is the biggest challenge. After that comes the mental challenge. Like uh, these women, uh, somewhere feel very weak. They want to marry again. They feel they should have a man in their life. At that stage, the child is a hindrance. So they want to get rid of the child. So I would say first is economic, second is mental. Because if you have mental strength, you will be able to keep your child with you. That is my finding. So these women, they will leave the children. 
and the children would have nowhere to go. Like recently, one of my house servants who was uh, 35 year old, he took up to drinking a lot and he died because of that. Now his wife lives in a remote village in, U in Himachal, or sorry, in Bihar. And she cannot even speak proper Hindi, neither English nor Hindi, she speaks a dialect. And she has two children. If we don't support that child, those children, she will sell them. Yes. So, I mean, the intervention is uh, is required. People have to understand the reality. Mm -hmm. And if they understand the reality, they will not hesitate. The first thing is walking down the lane, seeing the reality. The reality is so grim that it will automatically motivate you to work for them. Yes. Rekha, you are talking about things that many of us have never imagined or experienced. You're talking about mothers that are so destitute, they've had to leave their children or even sell their children. And the work you're doing yeah. is to try to empower those women to feel that they are able to keep those children. That is incredible work. So that's because amazing. Many people are working. You see, what happens is you have a ripple effect. Like when we started our organization, we don't take government money. We build with our own whatever efforts we have or whatever sources we have. So as a result, many people see us and they form their own organizations because in NGO works, small is beautiful. We don't want to be very big because then the cost will go up. All our 100 women do not take anything from the trust. They only contribute money and time. These are gentle ladies who don't want to just waste their life. And a small contribution, they begin with a small contribution, but then they get so motivated Mm. that gradually the contribution starts growing and even the time donation grows. Right. Main thing is walking down the lane. If you walk down the lane, you will automatically work. Like I can see, you are getting so affected. So anybody who knows the reality would not be able to stay back. And when you know 100% money or 100% things will go directly to the child or to the beneficiaries, then people get motivated. Because in our organization, the infrastructure expense is virtually very low, 3%, which is the money goes to the teachers. Otherwise, there are organizations which become very big, and then the infrastructure expense goes up to 12%, which is huge. So right. small is beautiful, is my finding. Yeah, so you're keeping your organization small, but inspiring other people to yes. do the same. And when you say the most important thing is to walk down the lane, what you're saying is walk down the lane and see the state of these women and children. And once you see this, you cannot turn away. You have to help them. Yes, you cannot turn away. If you're a human being, you cannot turn away. Yeah. The human qualities which God has given us, mm -hmm. compassion, empathy, and love. And when we work with them, these qualities grow. You become a better human being. Yeah. Rekha, tell us about your other organization, Sri Shakti. What does that mean? I know yeah, it promotes... That's a good question. Yeah, what does it mean? Yeah, Sri Shakti, if you translate into correct English, it will be woman power. But we negate that. We don't accept woman power. We say parallel force. Power is over somebody. Force is capacity. When we say Sri Shakti, we mean that we have the capacity to balance this life and along with men, we can build a balanced society. The moment you say, like West has come up with the concept of woman power, power is over somebody. When the men say, oh, we don't like you because you are trying to be powerful on us. No, we don't want to be powerful on you. You are very important. But we want to work along with you. So parallel force. So through parallel force in 1998, 
we started first recognizing women's awards. And then we started recognizing women's effort. So our first award, which was in my mother's name, the second thing we are doing in Isri Shakti is that understanding lives of different women. So I edited this book, Quest for Roots, which is on the website. It has 300 profiles of women from Vedic period, from 4th or 3rd century onwards, that the women have always supported life. And through that, they've made the world a better place. So second thing we do is understanding women's journey, understanding their lives. The third thing which we have started doing right now, which is having a huge impact, that we are asking in India, free travel for women. Because the Indian women have become very good voters now. So the minute you have become good voters, your political power rises. So we started asking for free travel. Now four states in India have given free travel on public transport to women. This is Delhi, Punjab, Tamil Nadu, and partially in Haryana, and now Karnataka. So we are raising this voice that please support your women voters by making their life easy. Because you see, if you assess the daily life of a woman and look at her expenditure, her two main expenditures are, if she has a roof above her head, is food and travel. So the minute the money is short, she stops going out of the house. And if she ages, she stops going out of the house. The moment you lock yourself in the house, then the trouble begins. The mental challenge, depression, several other diseases. So life is a journey. You have to continue to move on. So this is what we are asking. And the fourth thing now which we started three years back is training women who are in political space with a program called She Leads. She Leads in every social aspect of India. Whether a political aspect is where there were no action so far. So we started that. And as I said, it has a ripple effect. Right now, there are about 10 organizations doing similar thing and empowering women. That's amazing work again that, that you're doing through that particular organization. So Rika, how was money discussed and handled in your own home when you were growing up as a young girl? I know you talked about the giving that your mother did and the charity, but how was actual money in the household handled and, and how? Yeah, it's a beautiful question, which allows me to narrate a very interesting incident. When my father made his first money, which would be in 1954, because he started establishing this township in 1935. So he asked my mother, look, I can give two things, because he was a head of a joint family of 100 people. Either I make jewelry for all of you, or what do you want? She said, I want a temple. So he built a very big temple in our township, in Mudinagar. So when I was growing up, because of the temple, many, many spiritual leaders were visiting us. So with the influence of those spiritual leaders, the topic of money, though it was there in the office, it didn't reach the house. In the house, we were a happy community, playing bridge, riding, swimming. But money was not discussed. It was in office. The money topic stayed in office. In fact, when I came back, I was in a boarding. And when I was 17, I came back to home. And I wanted to travel to Darjeeling, a hill station. And my father said, but why? Who's going to buy your ticket? So I was so surprised. I asked my mother, has he lost all his money? She said, no, no. He has got, we are 11 brothers, sisters. So she said, we are a huge family. So he balances the expenditure. So the money was not discussed ever, but business was discussed. But along with that, 
spirituality was the main thing which has shaped my life. So spirituality was the main thing. And then later on you learned about money and business and how to handle it. And what are the most important money lessons you've learned in your life? I know you are working to empower women who don't understand money or budgeting, but it's very interesting that I married a modern man, I thought, and I lived in a palatial house in Calcutta. I still live in that house. It's a beautiful house. But when my daughter was 17 and I wanted to send her to England for education, I faced something which I never thought I would face. My husband was against it. He said, why would you empower your girl by sending her to England? Because she will become different, out of control. I said, what do you mean by control? She needs to be educated. So then I realized how important is money because to send her to England, I needed money. But fortunately, I had some of my money which my mother had left for me. So I said, all right, you don't want to give, you don't need to. I have enough to support my daughter's education. And he he pitched in, but that having the money helped me shape my daughter's lives. Later on also, when it came to my younger daughter's education, she was not so good in studies. So my husband was very clear, she should be not sent abroad. But my spiritual guru told me, what you've done for the one daughter, do it for the other. It is not your business to assess how good or bad she is. And surprisingly, she did very well in her studies abroad. And she's turned out to be more laborious and more successful, I would say, than the elder one who was naturally very, very intelligent. Mm-hmm. But the second one has put in more effort. And she's the mother of two daughters now, so which is wonderful. That's fantastic. So you gave both daughters the same opportunity and both of yeah, them? Same upbringing, same inheritance, same uh, everything same. Now it's up to them, whatever. Right. But you placed all the emphasis on their education from a young age, which is… Yes, yes. And not differentiating between the two according to their capability. Right. As a, like, the sun gives to life, same sun on the earth. It doesn't differentiate… Similarly, a mother's role is to be just and same, giving same to both the children. Yeah. Just and balanced. Yeah. I love that analogy. And what advice do you have for people raising young women in today's world, Rekha? Well, again, skill learning. Now, the new challenge which has come, digital challenge. See, I'm talking to you from America because I learned computers. My father discouraged me to learn balance sheet reading because he thought, Girls are not meant to look after business. But after my husband's death, I'm handling so many things. And because I had learned typing at a young age, I'm more computer savvy than my five brothers. So, I mean, when you learn any skill, especially technical skill, is highly important in today's world. So in our centers of the which I trust, we are imparting digital training to the children and to the women. Because learning computers is highly, highly important. Because if you don't, like in our time, when we were young, learning English was very important. I studied in Hindi medium, but I picked up English. So that people who could not communicate in English still have disadvantage. Similarly, people who will not pick up computers will not be able to compete in the same race as the people who are computer friendly. Yeah. So your organizations are really giving computer literacy to children to, yes. to lift them straight out of poverty that way. Yeah. Yeah. First is saving money, coming out of the home. Yeah. Because if the women are sitting in their homes and thinking what will happen, then nothing will happen. Things will only get from bad to worse. 
when you come out, you learn that so many opportunities are there. Yeah, fantastic work, Reka. Reka Modi, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Banking on Goals podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate the podcast and be sure to hit subscribe or follow so you can receive notifications of new episodes. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and at bankingongoals.com. 